First, I want to get started on something that uh, ended this week, and that was this week all of the scheduled hearings ended in the House Committee's public hearing to investigate the January 6th riots. The nine-member committee has accused Donald Trump of being at the center of a conspiracy, basically, to overturn uh, his loss to Biden in the 2020 election. Uh, The panel had all kinds of evidence. I'm not sure if any of you watched all of it. I certainly didn't watch all of it. I watched excerpts. um, But it's uh, it's ended for now. It looks like there will be further sessions in September. But the question is, what are the procedures? What's going on? What's going to happen? What might happen? And are there criminal charges pending, looming? And if so, what kind of charges could they be? With us to discuss this, uh, the, the legal mechanics of the, of the hearings and the possible outcomes is one of my favorite uh, criminal and civil attorneys in Chicago, Renato Mariotti. He's a former federal prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He's now a partner in the mega firm of Thompson Coburn. He tries cases, handles appeals. Uh, he's very highly sought out for his legal commentary on CNN and also WGN television. Fun facts about Renato. He's a Naperville native and a graduate of Yale Law School. He's the host of the podcast On Topic, candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Last uh, time I was at the ballot box, welcome to the show. Renato, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I tend not to try, I try I try not to get political on, on this show because I don't know about you, but I try to stay in my legal lane. There's enough pundits who like to talk about politics, and I, I, I think, you know, I like to try to explain. But in this case, it's going to be hard because this whole issue, you know, has politics throughout it. Tell, tell us, Renato, um, why? What? What is the purpose of these hearings? Congress cannot bring charges itself. So, what is the purpose of of these January sixth hearings? Well, it's a good place to start because I think you're right to point out that the people who are putting together these hearings are a bunch of politicians. And so, you know, you and I might look at this from a legal perspective, but of course, we're missing out on a big part of what they're trying to do here, right? Right. So it, it doesn't resemble a courtroom. There's no rules of evidence. There's no cross-examination or anything like that. Um, I would regard it somewhat similar to a grand jury in the sense that uh, when you when a grand jury is a group of ordinary folks who prosecutors present charges to, but of course, there's no other side there and there's no rules of evidence. So the prosecutor's basically put on their case. And and I think really the purpose here is more for the members of Congress to convince the public that there's an issue that's uh, that happened here, that they're con- they're, this attack was some on the Capitol was something that they should be concerned about. And then also to, I think, create a historical record, um, uh, you know, of what happened, uh, sort of how the 9-11 Commission did it. But unfortunately, there there wasn't a bipartisan agreement on a commission here. And so the, this is essentially the substitute for that. So if there are to be charges, how would that work? Who brings them and what evidence is considered uh, in bringing them? Great question. So the, the charges would have to be brought by the United States Department of Justice. There are, I know that folks may have heard on television or elsewhere that there are local prosecutors who can bring charges, and that's true, like the Fulton County uh, District Attorney can bring uh, state charges. But typically, most of the charges you'd consider here would be federal charges by the United States Justice Department. Ultimately, the prosecutors, uh, the, the mostly career prosecutors at the Justice Department, would be evaluating the evidence. Uh, they would, of course, not just take what the uh, what the committee has, but they would conduct a, presumably their own investigation and then would ultimately determine whether there's enough evidence to 
convict uh, individuals beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and of course, they have already brought some charges against individuals who participated in that, in that uh, uh, riot or uprising. Um, and, um, you know, they'll, they'll consider as time goes on uh, whether they can charge other individuals as well. We're here with uh, Renato Mariotti. He is uh, in, in the law firm of Thompson Coburn, and, and he's a former prosecutor. And we're talking about the January 6th hearings. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk specifically about what potential crimes could be brought as a result. You're listening to WGN. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war. The president says something to the effect of, I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? Uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence, but they had a lot of theories. That was Mr. Giuliani. And what exactly did he say and how that come up? My recollection, he said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. And I don't know if that was a gaffe or maybe he, he didn't think through what he said, but... Did anyone provide you with evidence of election fraud sufficient to affect the outcome of the presidential election in Arizona? No one provided me ever such evidence. I was part of a conversation. I was in the, I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away. I think we need to quit mincing words and just talk about truths. And what it was going to be was an armed revolution. I mean, people died that day. Law enforcement officers died this day. There was a gallows set up in front of the Capitol. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war. And no one would have won there. You're listening to some excerpts from the January 6th hearing. We're here Renato, uh, with Renato Mariotti, who is breaking down what happened and what are the potential charges. Uh, Renato, thanks again for joining us. Um, can you start with the, the top type of crimes that could be charged, like sedition and treason? Can you break down what these charges are and what you think of the evidence so far in relation to those charges? Sure. So one uh, one charge I can do away with uh, from the very beginning is treason, and it, it, that may surprise some of the listeners. But the founders of our country defined treason very narrowly. It is defined in the Constitution, uh, and it's one of the rare crimes that is. And the reason that that happened is because our founding fathers actually were themselves accused of treason. And they did not like um, that charge being bandied about uh, as a political tool, essentially. And so, essentially, if you're to be to charge someone with treason, they need to actively be uh, in league with a, let's say, a, like a, a, a either a foreign power or an entity that's at war with the United States. And so, <clears throat> treason comes up when somebody, for example decides to join the enemy in the battlefield against the United States, something along those lines. But it's it's not going to be applicable here at all. So I'm going to put that to the side. It's, it's something that's certainly bandied about in conversation, but that's not it's not an actual legal charge. Now, there is something that I'm sure that folks have heard uh, a lot, on, whether it's on television or elsewhere, is a, a charge called seditious conspiracy. And that really involves a bunch of people agreeing to either – you know, not only overthrow the government of the United States, but essentially to 
to um, hinder or or work against the government of the United States. And here, this is a plausible charge because we actually have seen the Justice Department charge a number of individuals in the Capitol with seditious conspiracy. So some of the folks who were involved in coordinating an attack um, and, uh, for example, determining who they wanted to target and which potential members of Congress they wanted to harm, those those individuals um, are currently charged. I think that we're pretty far away from that charge against someone like the former president or uh, his closest associates based solely on what we know publicly. And that's just because while there was a lot of command and coordination that existed in this attack, it was not just a bunch of random people who decided to show up at the Capitol. They're, they're just, we have not seen a lot of evidence regarding like an agreement or a connection between the former president and that crew. Now, they, there's, for example, been tweets, but I wouldn't expect uh, anyone uh, to be held criminally responsible for what people do as, in response to a tweet like that. So I think we'd have to hear more. And, and that's the sort of thing where the Justice Department would have a role, because if you've been watching the hearings, you've probably seen that there's witnesses who either uh, refuse to answer questions based on privilege or haven't shown up at all, like Mark Meadows, and that they would have more difficulty doing that in the Justice Department um, criminal investigation. So are there any other crimes that you see as uh, potential charges for Donald Trump if we can rule out uh, the cons- uh, seditious conspiracy from what we've seen so far? Yeah, so we're a little bit closer to charges that you probably, you may have also heard about, which are uh, a conspiracy uh, uh, set to defraud the United States uh, or a um, uh, um, an agreement to... Um, to obstruct an official proceeding. Those are two, two uh, criminal charges that I think people have heard a lot about. The issue with both charges really comes down to state of mind. And, and w- what essentially has to be proved for both of them is for a conspiracy to defraud the United States, you have to prove dishonesty. Okay, that's part of fraud. Uh, and then in a conspiracy uh, or in an agreement to try to um, obstruct an official proceeding, you have to prove a corrupt intent because merely trying to halt the, the proceedings for a, um, a legitimate purpose is fine. So in both of those circumstances, the challenge there would be that the former president was advised by a lot of people who I would say are dishonest or crooked lawyers, people like uh, uh, Jeffrey Clark, who former Justice Department uh, official who is now under criminal investigation, uh, John Eastman, who privately admitted that his uh, legal theories would fail nine to zero in the Supreme Court, but at least as far as we know, didn't tell that to the former president. And I do think they complicate matters because uh, I think the former president would argue that he was basically relying on the advice of people like that, Giuliani, Clark, Eastman, and he thought that they were giving him legitimate legal advice. So I think that would be a challenge. Uh, I I think that the Justice Department uh, may very well investigate the, the lawyers I just mentioned, and they could potentially provide evidence against the former president. I think also... You know that the the they're a little bit closer to the line on a um, on the uh, on the um, uh, the obstruction of an official proceeding just because of how the case law is. I think there's also another charge though that that's much closer to based solely on the facts we know, which is um, incitement. And incitement is where um, someone basically through the through, through their speech tries to incite people to engage in lawless action. And there we know all the facts because Donald Trump 
um, in fact, gave a speech, and the people who were in the audience were armed, uh, and they ultimately went and, uh, you know, went to the Capitol and attacked people there. Uh, and the question there is purely a legal one, which is whether or not his speech would be protected by the First Amendment, whether or not he was trying to incite imminent lawless action. And there, um, I think we're much closer to where potential charges by the Justice Department, simply because the facts there are well are well known and the issue would would solely be a legal one, which I think has been overcome to a great degree by the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson and others. Let's talk about this 187-minute gap. Much has been made of it, the gap meaning uh, Trump's inaction during that period of time after he gave that speech and after he finally said in Twitter uh, to call the mob off and to go home. Um, Can inaction by a president be a crime? Uh, Inaction technically can, in in certain circumstances, be a crime, but it rarely, if ever, is. I mean, we rarely punish people criminally for sitting around and doing nothing. Uh, While it's reprehensible that, for example, a president might not act when he has knowledge of, um, you know, some wrongdoing occurring, we don't generally hold our political leaders and, and our public servants responsible when, even when they know or they could have done better, they know about, let's say, a riot that's going to happen or they know about um, a crime that's going to occur. Is it possible for inaction to be uh, something that you, that is uh, chargeable under criminal laws? Sure. Would that is part of a larger plan or scheme? So, for example, you know, it's one thing to, you know, wa- uh, sit and watch, you know, eat popcorn or Cheetos and watch somebody rob a bank. That's reprehensible, but not criminal. But if you are the security guard and you're in on the, the scheme and you're part of the plan for robbing the bank was for you to, to do nothing, well, then that's a different story. And, but I think that just shows you how, how high the burden there would be for the Justice Department. They would literally have to show that Trump uh, was deliberately doing nothing as part of a, a larger plan. I, I think that would be hard to prove. I'm going to just uh, get to some a personal question because uh, I'm sure you're going to come back on my show and talk about this some more when these hearings resume. You seem like you're following these carefully, and I really appreciate your insight. Um, you ran for attorney general this uh, past election. Can you just tell us quickly why you ran and what you would what and what your goals are in the future as to uh, politics and uh, being attorney general? That's a great question. Uh, I ran for attorney general because I thought that it was an opportunity for somebody like myself who had been a public servant and a practicing lawyer to make a a lot of difference for people's lives. I mean, attorney general really heads up effectively the largest law firm in the state of Illinois and has the ability to change the lives of a lot of people here in Illinois. It was an opportunity for me to, for example, fight um, financial crime, something that I spent a lot of my time doing as a federal prosecutor. And I was excited about that opportunity. And I certainly would consider uh, running for that office again. But I'm also, uh, you know, happy to uh, spend my time supporting my family and um, and uh, practicing law and representing my clients, which I which I do now. And I try to do my best to be civically involved and, and try to uh, give back to the community in other ways. Well, let, we're looking forward to some uh, a bright future for you, and uh, and we're also looking forward to you coming back on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Renato Mariotti. Uh, he is a partner at Thompson Coburn.